You'll take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 9. We're taking this Advent season to work through the four couplets of titles that are given to Jesus. And so we looked at him being a wonder and a counselor last week. And today we come to the portion of verse number six, where he shall be called the mighty God. And again, the understanding, the background, the the context of this passage is that uh, the people of God have gone into a a place where uh, King Ahaz has been unwise. He's made compromises with the world. And Isaiah has given to him a a surety, a a call to this is going to this is what's going to happen to the people of God, but it's coming hundreds of years before uh, the fruition of that understanding and the truth of it being born in a child. And so, again, the people of Isaiah would not have understood exactly what Isaiah was saying, but we do. And so we get to look back, and so today we're going to look at what does it mean that Jesus was mighty God. And this is a very significant uh, part of Scripture, maybe one of the most significant ever in regards to Scripture, of understanding what does it mean that Jesus was the mighty God. And so we see the hope that's coming, and Isaiah is very clear. He's saying people who are living in darkness, a light has shone. People who are dealing with sorrow will find joy, and people who are in bondage will find freedom. But the question for us is, does Jesus, this person that he's talking about, have the power to accomplish that? Does he have the power to take care of our deep aches? Does he have the power to allow us to face the vulnerabilities that we have? Does he have the power to change sin and death in this world? And so that's what we're going to unpack this morning. So we're going to be looking at it from those two words, God and mighty. So before we do, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, this is your word, and it's a word that we have heard many times. We sing of it, but Lord, I ask that you would make it fresh and new to us today, Lord, that we would truly see our Savior, and that we would grasp and understand the titles that you have given to him, even before the foundation of the world. So Father, teach us, equip us, and then send us to build your kingdom both here and around the world, for we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So as we look at the the titles, Mighty God, if you look in the Hebrew, uh, the name for God is the one that comes first, so it's El. And so we're going to look at God. What does it mean that Jesus is God? And so the first thing we're going to look at is his birth. Now again, uh, by all intents and purposes, the birth of Jesus looks normal, But we understand that things can be hidden in plain sight. We can go online and see animals that can hide in plain sight by their camouflage. We know that there are things like, where's Waldo? Where you can go into little books and you can try to find Waldo in the midst of all the red and white things that are on the page. You can also go and look at 3D posters and trying to find the picture within the picture. So there are things that can be hidden in plain sight. And so the average person would have looked at Mary's pregnancy and said, what's the big deal? She's having a a pregnancy just like any other woman has had a pregnancy. They would have looked at the birth 
And they would have said she just had a normal birth. She had a birth just like every other child that was born before. But when we sometimes we miss the things that are revolutionary in the midst of the things that are so common and ordinary. Because the revolutionary thing is there was something that happened that was extraordinary about this child. So we begin by seeing in the passage in verse 6 where he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now again, there's a redundancy here because we understand that the child and son are the same. But that's not the point of that part of the verse. The part of the point of the verse is that to us a child is born. It's a natural thing. But the thing that is amazing is it says to us a son is is given. Now again, we recognize that it is God who gives to us his son. And it's an overwhelming thing for us to begin to comprehend. And so we have to grasp the, the theology that God gave to us his son, and he gave to us his son in a very specific way. And this is one of these parts where, again, especially in today's day and age, where a lot of people, even the people who would say they're a part of evangelical churches, do not believe in the virgin birth. They would say that it's not a big deal that Jesus was simply born. The Jewish people, a lot of Jewish people still are looking for just a human person to be born to, to take away them from a political system. But this is a core. This is a hill to die on. That Jesus was born of a virgin. Why? Because last week we looked at it. He had to be 100% God and 100% man. Full, not part, not part God and part man. He was fully God and fully man. And so he had to be born of a virgin because he is the son of God. And that is a huge deal that he is the son of God. And so we want to unpack what does it mean that he is the son of God and why is that important? I'm going to give you a lot of scripture. And again, if you can keep up, um, that's great. If you just want to write it down and look at it later, that's great. Um, If you want to come and get it uh, farther from me, I can send it to you. That's not a problem. But I want to go and take you step by step why we truly believe that Jesus is the son of God. So the first thing that happens is scripture tells us in Isaiah seven fourteen, it's where he says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. We know from John 1, 1, that uh, Neil already read for us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We know from his attributes that he takes, Micah 5, 2, But you, O Bethlehem of Pathra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from of old, from ancient days. He's also all-knowing. John 21, 17, this is where Simon is talking uh, to Jesus, and Jesus is is correcting him. And this is where uh, Peter says this, Lord, you know everything. You know everything. And you know that I love you. We also know that Jesus is God because he does the works. He's the creator. John 1, 3. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. But not only is he the creator, but he's also the sustainer. Hebrews 1, 3. He is a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. 
And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he creates, but he also sustains. Not only that, but he also has power over death. We see in John 5, 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. John 11 is the story of Lazarus. Remember when Jesus said, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And he does. And then he tells them to unbind him. We know that he receives worship. And again, this is something we as human beings give worship to a lot of things. We bow down to our football teams. We bow down to things that we hold to be very dear. We, um, we see in history where we would bow down to angels and they would always say, get up. But Jesus receives worship. Matthew 14, when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice. Oh, sorry, my bad. Matthew 14, And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. John 9, 38, uh, this is what he said. He said to him, Lord, I believe, and therefore he worshipped him. He also is one with the Father. Now, again, we talk about, in human terms, I can be a reflection of my Father. I can have some of the same characteristics as my Father. But I can never, ever say that I and my Father are one. And yet, this is exactly what Jesus claimed. He said, when you've seen me, you have seen the Father. John 10.30, I and the Father are one. And then also talks to Philip, and he says uh, in John 14, 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? And not only that, but then he also can control the demons. In Mark chapter 5, this is where he's rode across the, the lake, remember, and he's, he's having the encounter with the demon-possessed man, and the demon-possessed man comes out, and the demons cry out, Jesus, what have you to do with us? And then remember what he does? He casts them out into the pigs, and the pigs, once they have the demons inside them, run down the hillside, and they drown themselves in the water. And so even the demons believe. And then we also see in James chapter 2, verse 19, you believe that God is one, you do well, even the demons believe, and they shudder. So even demons are preaching sermons that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this might seem like overkill, but this is one of the most crucial things we can ever understand about what God has told us in his scripture, that Jesus is the Son of God. And because he's the Son of God, he can take away the sins of the world. And so we have this understanding of this. This was a normal birth in some ways, but it was extraordinary. We know that it brought forth a Son of God. And as such, he now becomes Emmanuel. He did become Emmanuel, God with us. And it happened first in the incarnation where he, got, where he comes in the form of the, the child. Now, I want you to also grasp how important this is because God did this. He pursued us. Now, now, why is that important? Well, God didn't just send someone else to do it. God himself 
came to seek and find the lost. And because he's someone who, who loves us so much that he comes, he not only dwelt with us, but he's also the one to whom we can cry out. He is the one who cares more than your mom, cares more than your dad, cares more than your grandparents, cares more than your grandchildren. God loves you so much that he gave Jesus Christ to come and pursue you on a very intimate level. And so we have this incarnation that he comes to us in the child and he dwelt with us. He only dwelt with us for a short time. So we continue to look for the consummation. And we looked at this for a number of weeks when we looked at heaven. And so we, we long for the day where there's the new heaven and the new earth and Jesus will be with us in person. He will dwell with us forevermore. But what do we do now? Because we're not in the consummation We're in what's known as the continuation. So Jesus came the first time, but now we're waiting. That's why we still have Advent. We're preparing ourselves for the coming of Jesus to come back. And so we have this continuation. So again, we cry out to the one who pursues us. We also live in expectation. Do you truly believe that Jesus is coming back? And how does it affect you to live differently? Would people know that you're living in expectation? Would they know that you are celebrating Christmas differently than they are? Are you in Advent amazement? Are you taking time to to focus upon what's important this season? And again, I get it. It, it's, It's overwhelming. It's busy. But I'm asking you to take time to, to stop and to be still and to listen. Look at the things that you're doing. Ask yourself the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Who do I need to, again, do ministry to? Where are you calling me, God, to give of myself more than at other times? So live in Advent amazement, but then also give him zealous worship. Zealous. And again, sometimes this is maybe one of the worst places uh, to, to do worship because we're we're always concerned about the, the people around us, aren't we? I can't sing very well, so I'm not going to sing loud. Um, one of the songs we're going to the ending song we're singing today was one of the songs that a lot of times was sung with the men singing one verse and then the women singing the other verse. And so someone asked me, "Are we going to get get to do that?" And I was just, "No, we're not going to do that. Why not? Because I don't want people coming up to me afterwards and saying that made me feel uncomfortable." But why? Why, why do we struggle to, to raise our hands if you're one of those people? Why, why do we struggle to, to, to cry out? And again, I, I get it. I'm, I'm not asking for people to become, because uh, we're not the, the emotionally driven church. I mean, we don't have mood lighting. And, and uh, again, if you were to come down here with rhythm streamers and dancing and the, and the thing, that would be inappropriate. Because, again, our purpose is to say, how do we come to an audience of one? But, but I would ask, where's your heart? Do you, do you, are you worshiping with everything? Your Savior and your Lord. 
Are you giving him glory and honor? In your own way. Are you giving him your zealous worship this Advent season? So we have God. Then we also have a very descriptive word in the Almighty. But what I want you to do is to kind of maybe see it from a different perspective because mighty actually comes from the Hebrew word gabor. Now, gabor can mean a couple of things. It can mean a powerful champion, a godly hero, but what I want you to see is it's mostly should be kind of masked up to warrior. Now, why do I say that? I'm not just making it up. This word, gabor, is used in regards to 2 Samuel uh, 23 verses 8 and following. It's also 1 Chronicles 11, 10 and following. And this matches up to David's mighty men. And so David's mighty men goes on to tell the story of all these men. And he gives us 30 men who were these great warriors. And then specifically three who did some incredible things. And, and again, mark it down. I'd love for you to go back and read 2 Samuel 23 and see all that they did. There was one person who, who killed 800 people at one time. 800 People who were so into pleasing David that when he said, I wanted to have a drink from a well in Bethlehem, three of these guys go into enemy-occupied territory to get a cup of water for David to drink from. Now David throws it out, and he's just like, far be it from me, God, that these men put their lives at risk for me to have a drink of water. But these people are warriors. They come and they kick bootay. Now, I want you to take that of the, the ones who conquered the enemies and apply it in such an nth degree higher of what Jesus has done for you. He is El Gabor. He is the God warrior. And he has come to fight for us, to destroy death and sin on our behalf. And not only does he destroy and just kind of leaves us to ourselves, but he comes to heal our wounds. Remember, we're looking forward to the day where he will take away every tear, where he will take away every sorrow, every pain. He does that because he is the warrior king. And he gives to us his victory. Well, how do we see that he is the warrior? Well, he is triumphant in regards to Satan. So in regards to Satan, we know that he's, he beat him in the temptations. Remember, after he was baptized, he goes out uh, by the Holy Spirit and be tempted. And every challenge that he had, Matthew 4, 1 through 10, every challenge that Jesus received, he answered with Scripture. He didn't make it up. He answered with the word of God. The second thing he overcame is he overcame the demons. We've already talked about this. Mark 1, 27, that Jesus, remember they're starting to talk about him because he cast out the demons in the midst of the, uh, the time of the synagogue and the temples. And so what do they do? They said, well, we know why he can cast out demons because he's a Beelzebub. And Jesus goes, why would I cast out, if I'm a Beelzebub, why do I cast out my demons? I'd be defeating myself. I'm not casting out demons. I'm casting out demons because I have authority over top of them. And what do they want to do? They want to stone him. But why? Because only one, the one who could do that is God. 
And so we have this understanding that, that God uh, defeats the demons, but he also binds Satan. Um, look at Mark chapter 3, verses 22 through 30. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he cast out the demons. And he called them to him and said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first finds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house." Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man and whatever blasphemy they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of the eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. This is the point where Jesus binds Satan. He takes care of him. That's why Jesus can have full rule. He can plunder Everything that was under Satan's control. Because he was the one who defeated Satan. Not only does he defeat uh, Satan, but he also defeats sin. Romans 6, 123. And again, this is a, a passage that I would like you to look up. And I know I'm going through a lot, but just listen to how he defeats sin. Verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we would go no longer to be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if, we've been died with, if we have been died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. And we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. For death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive, alive to God in Christ Jesus. So he defeats sin. He also defeats for us death. We see that again on the resurrection, it seems like it was over, right? And if Jesus had simply died, a common thing, thieves, thousands of people were crucified on the cross. So why was Jesus different? Because Jesus wasn't supposed to die. But because he does, he becomes the one perfect sacrifice. Revelation uh, 1, verses 17 uh, through 18 says this, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, for I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Jesus. Because he was resurrected, listen to what Crow, a professor and author, says. Jesus obeyed fully, even unto death, and his obedience brings everlasting life. See, the first Adam brought death. Jesus comes and lives a perfect life as the Son of God. He becomes a perfect sacrifice so that we might have life. And what does that life look like? Well, he comes with authority. Now, I want you to change. If you've gotten the outline and you're using it, I want you to change this word because I put in there limitless. I want you to change it to all-powerful. And here's why. Because when I made the statement limitless, I understood what I was talking about, but it could be misconstrued. Okay? God is not limitless. Now, I want you to be very clear in listening to me. Here's why I say that. 
Because God cannot sin. God cannot do evil. God cannot do anything outside of his being. But he is all-powerful. John Frame says this in regards to defining omnipotent. God is in total control of himself and his creation. Total control of himself and his creation. Well, how do we know that? How do we unpack that? Well, again, he's in control over all creation. Matthew 8, 24 through 27. Remember, this is where Jesus is out and the winds and the waves are beating the boat. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. And the, the disciples are freaking out. And they wake him up. And they say, don't you care? And what does Jesus say to them? You have little faith. And then what does he do? He rebukes the wind and the waves. And they obey him. That's the Jesus that we look at. And that we know that he's triumphant. And he gives to us that amount of power. Now again, do you get to go out there to the Atlantic Ocean and, and say to the Atlantic Ocean, waves Stop. And then you expect for the waves to stop. No. But does that stop you from saying it? Think about this. Jesus had so much power and so much authority given to him that he was able to speak to creation and it obeyed. It stopped. Because the Son of God spoke and had authority over it he has authority over all the demons remember again the the legion the thousands of angels that are part of him and he casts them out he has power over death itself again lazarus chapter 11 but also first corinthians 15 listen when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality then shall come to pass the saying that is written death is swallowed up in victory O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? For the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Do we believe that? If I'm on, there's a lot of times where I just, I'm ready to give up. God, I, I'm, I'm done. There are many times I, I look at God and go, why, why do you keep dealing with us? <laughs> we have failed you so many times. Why do you still love us? Why do you still care? But all, not only does he love us so intimately, not only does he care, but he gives to us his authority. He allows us to be a part of his purpose. How do we know that? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all, listen, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. It's been given to Jesus. And so what does Jesus tell us to do? Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Where is your hope this Advent season? 
Where do you find love fulfilled in action? We find it in Christ. So we have this hope and love-filled prayer. And I hope you're praying for the lost. Again, for us as Christians, this is one of the most time that people are open uh, to us to go and talk to them and not be so offended. Who are you praying for? Who are you asking that God gives you an opportunity to evangelize those that are around you? Where are you at in regards to your Advent amazement? He is God warrior. He is the son of God who humbled himself and came in the flesh to live a life we could never live, to become a sacrifice we could never become, to give us a life we could never earn. And he does this because he is the warrior king. Now, I asked McCartney to, to close with this coming hymn. And it's, uh, it's one that I've sung before. It's, it's not one of my favorites or hasn't been one of my favorites. It's not on a lot of uh, CDs that you would buy for Christmas. It's not Silent Night, Holy Night. It's called Let All Mortal Flesh Keep Silent. Now, it's probably become one of my favorites, and I've used it now a couple of times where I've just sat and listened uh, to the words and just thought about um, because it takes what I've talked about and very succinctly uh, creates it to be a song that we should remember and sing quite often uh, through Advent. So I'm going to read through the words, and then McCartney's going to lead us uh, through singing it. Let all mortal flesh keep silence, and with fear and trembling stand. Ponder nothing earthly-minded, for with blessings in his hand, Christ our God to earth descended, our full homage to demand. King of kings, yet born of Mary, as of old on earth he stood, Lord of lords in human vesture, in the body and the blood. He will give to all the faithful his own self for heavenly food. Rank on rank the host of heaven spreads its vanguard on the way as the light of light descendeth from the realms of endless days that the powers of hell may vanish as the darkness clears away. And at his feet the six-winged seraph, cherubim with sleepless eyes, they veil their faces to the presence and with ceaseless voices they cry, Alleluia, 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 Lord Most High. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for the love that we cannot even begin to fathom and understand, yet you have made it a reality. And you made it a reality in your Son, the Son that was given to us the child that is born so that darkness might pass away, sorrow turn to joy, and bondage turn to freedom. Heavenly Father, build your kingdom and use us, this we pray, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.